Well, we are on the last one-third of the book of Acts. Ten chapters from chapter 19 to the end. So, um, in this particular outline, we're in the section going over to Macedonia, although um, he went over to Macedonia on his second journey. We're actually on his third journey, um, which just barely got started last time. We're in chapter 19. Um, And chapter 19 is completely on his visit at Ephesus. He stayed there uh, quite a while, a couple years or more. Um, can anyone name another city that he, na- he stayed somewhere close to that amount of time? Yeah, Corinth, which we did that one last week. That was in chapter 18. Um, who do we know that was already in Ephesus before we start this chapter? Linda? Yeah, Aquila and Priscilla. And they actually taught the truth more perfectly to who? Apollos. Yeah. And now Aquila and Priscilla are not even mentioned in chapter 19. Apollos is mentioned, but he was away. He was over at Corinth. Um, at some point during this time, they moved back to Rome. That's where they were originally. Because... Um, in, at the beginning of chapter 20, Paul goes to Corinth. From there, he writes the book of Romans. Uh, and he mentions that Aquila and Priscilla are in Rome. So I don't know just when they, they moved, but um, that's just a little bit of background there. So, um, get us a map here. This is his third journey. Um, in the last few verses of chapter 18, he went from Antioch through the regions of Galatia and um, what was the other one? Was it Phrygia? Yeah, Galatia and Phrygia. I don't know how long he stayed there. Um, but in verse 1 of 19, he comes to Ephesus. He, um, he says he passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. What was unusual about these disciples that he found there in Ephesus? They hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, yeah, they didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. Um, he asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit when they were baptized, when they believed, but uh, they said, well, they didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. So they, they had been baptized into what? John's baptism, yeah. Which is interesting because Apollos only knew the baptism of John. There may have been some connection here. Don't know. So he then baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and then laid their hands on them and... Uh, in verse 6, they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. So then, he, um, he went in the synagogue, which was always his practice. Um, and this time, he stayed for three months, which that's better than some places. I mean, some places they kick him out after the second Sabbath. Um, but um, there always comes a time when he's going to have to leave. They just It's just getting too uh, disruptive. So there were some in verse 9 becoming hardened to disobedience, speaking evil of the way, uh, and apparently, you know, fairly publicly. So he uh, he took them out and they into a separate area, the, the school of Tyrannus. So it mentions for two years they were there, and everyone who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, Asia in um, in the New Testament means this area here on the western 
side of what today is Turkey. It's not the huge you know, continent of Asia, including China, all that. It's just this one area. Um, Ephesus was the chief commercial city in, in the province of Asia. And so from, from Ephesus, the gospel just went out in all different directions. And in verse 11, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. The way Luke writes this, he, he implies that the, the number of miracles that were done by apostles varied very greatly from one time to another. It was up to the Holy Spirit as to how many were being done. And, and so he was just doing really amazing miracles at this point. Handkerchiefs were carried from his body to the sick. That's something that reminds us of, of Peter back in, um, I think it was chapter 4 of Acts, that um, they were doing something similar to that. Of course, with him, they were actually putting people out in the street, so hoping his shadow would fall on him as, as he walked. Um, and then it became so well known that he was able to cast out demons in the name of Jesus that what happened? Yeah, these Jewish exorcists, they, they weren't Christians. They didn't believe in Jesus. But that's the magic name that works. So I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Did it work for them? <laughs> got their attention. <laughs> got their attention, yeah. The guy that had the evil spirit leaped on him, subdued all of them, it says. There were seven of these sons doing this. This one guy subdued them all. And they fled out of that house naked and wounded. <laughs> <laughs> so that that created even more um, faith in Jesus as people saw what happened when you abused His name. It wasn't just that His name works, but if you abuse it, it, it you really pay for it. And so then there were people that had been practicing magic. And this is we're talking about um, people like Simon the sorcerer back in Acts chapter eight that claimed that. Um, they, they were really doing these things by the power of you know some occult thing. What did they do with their books? Burned them, yeah. And the value was fifty thousand pieces of silver. Fifty thousand pieces of silver, which one um, one piece of silver would be a, a a day's wage for a working man in those days. So we're talking about a lot of money here, um, but. If they'd sold the books, then someone else would have been practicing the magic, so they didn't want to do that. So, so in verse 20, the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. This is one of those key verses that we find uh, a number of times in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a book about the word of the Lord growing and prevailing. Well, now we get almost to the end of Paul's stay in Ephesus, and he's making plans now to go to Jerusalem after going through 1 Macedonia and Achaia. Now, it was while he was at Ephesus that he wrote 1 Corinthians, which I just finished a series on that in the sermons. And, and so we saw how he was talking to them about the collection that he was going to be taking because he was going to take money to Jerusalem. That's what's, what Luke is talking about here in verse 21. And then, and then where do you want to go after that? To Rome. Yes. And a little while later, he's going to write that the book of Romans, introducing himself to the Christians there. So he already sent some of his fellow workers ahead of him into Macedonia, Timothy and Erastus. And he, he's getting ready to leave, and then suddenly what happens? 
silversmiths. Yeah, this is interesting. Very rarely in the book of Acts do Gentiles seriously persecute Paul. Name me a time when this has happened before, when non-Jews, just Gentiles, persecuted Paul. Well, the well, limited one where the girl who was a yeah, prophet. when he cast the demon out of that that won't, that girl who had the familiar spirit, her slave owners had Paul and Silas beaten and thrown in prison because they'd lost a lot of money over it. So that they they were doing that over money. What's Demetrius doing it over? Money. <laughs> The Jews don't do it over money, though. When the Jews persecute, what's it over? Well, Moses and the law. Yeah, it's over their their differing views of of what the Bible says, and also over their jealousy that Paul's getting lots more converts than what they have. Um, so this this is this could have been a really bad situation that because he got he started a whole riot. Um, not enough people were buying the, the little shrines that he and the silversmiths were making, and they they weren't happy about it. And it's Paul's fault. So um, they mention, let's see here, in verse twenty-seven. Not only is there danger that this trade of ours fall into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis be regarded as worthless, and that she whom all of Asia and the world worship will even be dethroned from her magnificence. Of course, that wasn't the major issue. Of course, money was a major issue, but if you're going to get a riot going, you're going to get a bunch of people who don't care about your money because it's not theirs. So you got to you got to bring in the religion. Um, this is a model of the the temple of Artemis, or, or as if you have the King James Diana. It's not a full size model, as you can see by the size of these bushes here. It's kind of a small one, but that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You know. Right up there with the pyramids and and, and um, the um, hanging gardens over there in uh, in Babylon, the, this this temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the world. So the Ephesians were very proud of it, and, and they were not happy when um, people weren't spending as much time in that temple as they had before, and you know, buying souvenirs <laughs> while they were there. Um, so they start this big riot and they drag along a couple of Paul's traveling companions, which would have been pretty dangerous with them, in, into the theater with them. And they end up shouting in verse 34 for two hours, what? Greatest Artemis of Yeah, two hours. Greatest Artemis of the I mean, this is... You can kind of imagine the closest thing we, we would have to it, I think, would be like at a football match when you get everybody doing some big shout together. Um, and finally, the town clerk, who would have been an official, uh, he he got them to quiet down a bit and talk some sense into them. And finally, he says in verse 40, for indeed we are in danger of being accused of a riot in connection with today's events. Well, who's going to accuse them of this? The Romans, yes. They were every place in that in, in that area was under the rule of the Romans, and the Romans did not appreciate riots. Um, they're going to take some of your rights away if you if you can't keep peace in your, in your town. He says. Um, so he says in verse forty-one. After saying this, he dismissed the assembly. And this is an interesting word here in the Greek. 
Does anyone know what the Greek word is for church? Ecclesia. And that's the word here. When he dismissed the assembly, he dismissed the ecclesia. <laughs> and this is actually the, the way the, the Greek word was normally used. It was used of assemblies what, where the, the men of the town would, would come together and vote. That would be an ecclesia, a church. And the New Testament then took over that word. We are part of a greater assembly. <laughs> we are all the citizens of the kingdom and we come together. Well, today this is an ecclesia here. Um, and even during the week we're an ecclesia, a spiritual ecclesia, a, a, an assembly of spiritual people before God. Oh, that's where they shouted for two hours. <laughs> that's, the, that's the theater that still exists there in, in Ephesus today. Um, Paul wanted to go down there and the brethren wouldn't let him. <laughs> Paul, I don't think Paul was afraid of anything. <laughs> Just, here's, a, here's a big crowd, a chance to preach a sermon, but they, they, they felt like no, this is not a good time for you to go down there and preach a sermon. <clears throat> Alright, so in chapter 20 we continue his third journey. Once the uproar ceased in verse 1, he moved on to Macedonia. Now, um, let's look at the map here. From Ephesus, he went to Troas, which Luke doesn't mention this, but Paul does mention it in 2 Corinthians when he writes about this. Um, and then he went, and then he went up to Philippi. Luke again kind of skims over that, but Paul mentions that also in Second Corinthians. Um, and and I went through visited some of the churches where he had uh, worked on his second journey. But he comes down to Corinth, and he spent how long there in verse three? Three months. Yes. Now, when he wrote to the Corinthians in First Corinthians, he he told them he hoped he would. I forget his first or second now. He hoped he could spend the winter with them. Um, and I, I think this was probably the winter months that he spent. Um, because after this, he's trying to get to Jerusalem in time for uh, Pentecost, which would have been in, in the late spring. So the three months would have made sense. And, and you can't do a lot of traveling in the winter over there back, back then. Uh, you certainly couldn't travel by boat which was a lot of the traveling he did, and even traveling on by, on foot is going to be difficult in, you know, in, in with winter storms and all. Um, so from Corinth, his plan was to take a ship down to Caesarea and then to Jerusalem. But he had to change plans. Why was that? The, the Jews had a plot to kill him. So instead of going that way, they went overland up back through Macedonia. Um, so the Jews wouldn't. Jews would probably be watching the port, you know, knowing um, that's where Paul was going to be leaving. He had a bunch of guys with him. What are these guys doing with him? And they're in verse four. Right. Luke doesn't tell us that, but that's what they're there for. They're they're helping to take the money. If, if you're taking a lot of money in those days, you did not, I mean, they had no checks, they had no paper money, it was all gold or silver. You've got to have some, some people with you to, to, to guard it and also to carry it because it, it get pretty heavy. So these guys are all going to go all the way to Jerusalem. Of course, this is also so they can ensure 
that the money was properly delivered, they can go back and report to their brethren, you know, we hand it to the elders of these churches and, and they say thanks. Um, so, in, um, in verse 5, we start something that is that we've only had one time so far in the book of, of Acts. What's that? The we passages, yes. <laughs> you remember back in chapter 15, well, 16. In chapter 16, Paul got all the way to Troas and suddenly the narrator starts saying, we did this. <laughs> and he kept, he, he, he continued, we in Philippi, but once Paul left Philippi, it wasn't we anymore. It was just Paul and Silas. And now we get back to Philippi and suddenly it's we again. <laughs> we got Luke joining them. But now he's going he's gonna to continue with them. Now, it, this is amazing because Paul hadn't planned to go back to Philippi. So clearly Luke had not been planning to go with Paul. Paul was going to head out here. You know, We wouldn't have the rest of the book of Acts. In fact, we wouldn't have the book of Luke either because I'm sure Luke had to be down in this area to do his research for it. So the Holy Spirit was certainly guiding in this matter, even though the Jews would have said, no, no, we're, it's, this is our plan. So he goes up to Philippi, and, and at some point, Luke doesn't tell us why, but he decided to go with Paul. And so off they go. They go to Troas. And it's really neat. Whenever, Paul, whenever Luke's with them, he gives us all the details. Um, so in verse 6, we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came to them at Troas within five days. If Luke's not with you with Paul, he doesn't tell how long the journey takes. I mean, he just skips over a huge amount. But he was on the boat. It took five days. <laughs> and the last time, when they went the other direction, he was also on the boat from Troas to Philippi. It took two days that time. And he told us that too. In fact, he told us even where they were at the end of the first day. <laughs> Luke just loves it. I think he just loves the water. Um, there, they, there we stayed seven days. And then in verse 7, on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread, this is the last day that Paul's going to be there, he gave a speech. And the speech went so late that what happened? A young man fell asleep. A young man fell asleep. Unfortunately, he was sitting in the window on the third floor, fell down, was dead. But Paul went down, picked him up, and raised him from the dead. Which they were pretty happy about that. So then they, they headed on out from Troas. They went um, and landed at, it's not on the map here, but this is Miletus here, just a little bit south of Ephesus. Um, he didn't want to go to Ephesus. I don't know whether his boat would have landed at Ephesus. I mean, it's not really Paul's boat. He, he just has to grab passage on whatever he can. But I, I assume whenever he, whenever he got on the boat, he found out where it was going and and he didn't want to go to Ephesus because he would, it would have just taken him too long if he'd gone there. He wants to get to Jerusalem by Passover. So, or Pentecost, sorry. The Passover's already passed. Um, so he sent to, the, to Ephesus to get the elders to come. They came and then he had a really great speech in the last half of, of chapter 20 here uh, because he doesn't think he's ever going to get to see him again. Um, because the Holy Spirit is testifying in every city that what's what's going to happen. He's going to be bound. Yeah, he's he's going to be bound when he gets to Jerusalem. So he doesn't think he's going to get back here. 
Though in fact he did. Um, we'll 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 see later when we do Second Timothy that um, he actually did get back here again. But at the time he didn't expect it. I don't know whether how many of these guys are still alive when he did get back there because they're elders, you know. That, that's like in John's position. You never know how long it's going to be. <laughs> so be kind. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> But it's it's he's really concerned about them. He, he he reminds them about his own example. How he says these hands minister to my needs. You know, I, I wasn't money grubbing. Uh, I wasn't greedy. Um, and and then he was worried about even the elders. He says among your own selves, what's going to happen? Wolves. Yeah, they're going to be wolves who are going to arise instead of sheep. Following the shepherd, they're going to be wolves eating the sheep, even among the elders. Which that's going to be tough on these guys, and and he knows it's going to happen because of course Satan is busy everywhere. Um, so with that, they said farewell, and he finishes up the journey in chapter twenty-one, to going to Jerusalem. From Miletus, they took a boat, and, and again, Luke tells us all the details, even to the point where we left Cyprus on the left, he says. <laughs> he just, I mean, <laughs> we're getting a real travelogue here. They landed in Tyre, one of the cities of, of Phoenicia, picked up, I think it was a different boat, down to Caesarea, and that was the final, uh, that was as far as they could go by boat. Then from then they walked. They vi- in Caesarea, they visited a guy that we haven't had since chapter 8. Who was that? Philip, yeah. Philip the Evangelist. In chapter 8, we left him in what city? Caesarea. <laughs> That's where he is now, after decades later. Um, so, I, you're gonna, you can just imagine Luke, you know, meeting this guy. Oh, tell me about <laughs> tell me about Acts chapter 8, which I haven't written yet, but <laughs> whatever you tell me, I'd be happy to put in there. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Yeah, this was this was Luke's chance, and I, he used it well, I'm sure. Of course, he's going to get a chance to spend a lot more time in Caesarea later, because Paul was in prison there for a couple years. So, well, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure he had some enjoyable visits with Philip. Um, well, they got to Jerusalem, and the James and the elders were concerned about what. Paul's reputation among the Jews in Jerusalem. Yeah, and it was primarily, it it was in fact the reputation among Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, which which was unfortunate that even the Christians are thinking evil of Paul, but there were so many enemies of Paul and they were lying about him. And they were were saying, "You're, you're telling these Jews among the Gentiles not to circumcise their children, which Paul was definitely not doing. Um, so they had a plan. And what was their plan? Paul would sponsor three young men. Yeah, sponsor some men who, were, who had a Nazarite vow. They're going to be cleansed at the end of that time. Sponsor means paying their expenses at the temple. And that would show everybody that Paul was a faithful follower of the law of Moses. So he agreed to do that. But before the time was up, what happened when he was in the temple there in verse 27? Verse 27. 
Jews from Asia saw him in the temple and they made some startling accusations. Yeah, name me a town in Asia where they might have come from. Ephesus, yeah. Yeah, they would have known him pretty well. He had been in their synagogue for three months there. So they they accused him of doing what? Bringing Gentiles into the temple, yeah. Now, this is a model. We've, we've seen this picture before. And they said, this is a model of the temple. It's not, not a picture of the real temple. Of course, that got destroyed in AD 70. Um, but this tiny little fence here goes all, all, all the way around to these three sides. That was the limit beyond which Gentiles were not allowed. Gentiles were allowed in these open areas out here in, in the colonnades, but they couldn't cross that fence. And in fact, there were signs warning them not to do that on pain of death. So that was what they were accusing Paul of doing. You've taken Trophimus, because they'd seen Trophimus the Ephesian in the city with him, and they supposed he had taken him into the temple. So they were trying to kill him. They, they were, they were going to stone him to death. But at all these feasts, you, you always had a strong Roman army presence in the fortress called Antonia. And you had, you know, you'd have guards up here on the watchtowers. They could see what's going on, and, and you know, tell the commander, "Hey, you know, you better get some guys down there in a hurry." So he rushed down there. Uh, assuming this this model is correct, I don't, and I don't know uh, any reason to think it's not. Then there would have been an entrance that you can't see here into this porch here, the portico, from from the the temple. They could just run, they could run down the stairs right into the temple which they did. And they rescued Paul. And then Paul asked permission to do what? Speak to the people. Speak to people, yeah. Paul cannot see a crowd without thinking, a chance to preach the Gospel. And you really have to admire him for that. And and his speech was not designed to try to solve any problem other than making peace between these people and God. And the only way that's going to happen is for them to believe the gospel. So he tells the gospel, and, and he's he tells it from the perspective of his own story. Where where earlier in the book of Acts do we read about this same story? Yeah, Acts chapter nine, um, about when he's on the on the road to Damascus and he sees the light. Well, he's telling them the same story, so that they can understand. What Paul is basically saying, I used to be just like you. Until this happened to me, and after that, I had to be different. I had to do what the Lord told me because He shined His light on me. And, and then he tells us a, a, a new detail that we didn't know about before this in verse 27. It happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I fell into a trance. And I saw Him, that's Jesus of course, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. Now, from Acts chapter 9, we know he had to leave Jerusalem because they were, the Jews were stirring up trouble, but we didn't know that Jesus told him to leave. And, and so he argued with them, <laughs> with, with Jesus, just kind of like Ananias argued with him too. Lord, they themselves understand that in one synagogue after another, I used to imprison and beat those who believed in you. And he talk, talks about this. But he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Anything in that last statement might be a bit of a problem for this crowd? <laughs> the last word. 
They listened to him up to this day, and then they raised their voice and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth! He should not be allowed to live! <laughs> and so the commander had to, had to drag Paul into the barracks. And, and Paul, the commander has no idea what's going on. I mean, this is... Of course, in his experience, people don't riot over, over religious issues like this. And, of course, I mean, he's, I'm sure he's seen the Jews enough to know that they would. But he doesn't understand it. So he wants to question Paul. How is, how is he going to question him? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's 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 questioning him by torture. He's going to he's going to scourge him. Um, this was very common back then, and it's still practiced today. Um, but they ran into a problem. What was the problem? Paul was a Roman citizen. He's he's used that before. Where do you remember him using that before? In Philippi, yes. And now he says, hey, is it lawful for you to do this to a guy that's a Roman citizen? They stopped immediately. They, you know, they knew they couldn't do that with a Roman citizen. So he's going to be treated much more humanely uh, than he would have been if he hadn't been born a Roman. And, but the guy, the commander wants to see what's going on and figure it out. So in chapter... I'm sorry, we already did that. Paul's speech in the temple. Chapter 23, he, he went down to the Sanhedrin council to try to find out what, what the problem was. And of course, that, that didn't get anywhere. Paul um, shrewdly divided the council by saying he was on trial for what? Resurrection. Yeah, hope and resurrection of the dead. Sadducees don't believe in it. The Pharisees do. And they were divided to like half and a half or so. <laughs> they start fighting among themselves. The commander has to rescue out of that. And then the Lord that night appeared to him and said, Take courage, for as you have solemnly witnessed to my cause at Jerusalem, so you must witness at Rome also. Which I'm sure that was a big encouragement because all he had known up to that time was that just bonds and imprisonment awaited for him. But now he finds out he's going to get to go to Rome. He doesn't know how, but that's what's going to happen. And he, he of course, believes Jesus. Meanwhile, what are the Jews doing? Plotting against him. Plotting against him. Yeah, forty guys took a vow. What? Not to eat or drink until killed Paul. Yeah. But Paul's nephew learned about it. Told Paul. Paul sent the commander. The commander said, "Don't tell anybody you told me," because I'm sure you knew that. Not only would Paul's life be in danger, but the nephew's life would be in danger. So he immediately made plans to send Paul where? Caesarea. Yeah, this is Jerusalem. This is Caesarea. That's where the Roman governor was. And so he's bumping him up the chain here. And they left immediately that night. The first half of the journey was from Jerusalem to. Uh, Antipatris, and that was um, with a bunch of armed soldiers, along with horsemen. Paul was on a horse. Um, once they got to Antipatris, then the soldiers could go back. They figured they were safe by that time, and they went the rest of the way. Everyone just on horseback. Got to Caesarea, and this is a, an artist's conception of what Caesarea looked like back then. Last week I showed you a photograph of the aqueduct. Um, this is the actor up here that we saw a picture of. 
uh, last time. And Paul was to be kept in Herod's Praetorium, which according to this map is in this area here sticking out into the water. Herod would be, would be Herod the Great, the guy that killed the babies when Jesus was born. He had, he's the one that built this, this city. And he built this artificial uh, harbor here because there were no natural harbors uh, on, on the coast of, of Judea. So in, um, in chapter 24, he, he, uh, he, he has his trial before uh, Felix, who is the Roman governor appointed you know, by the, the emperor himself. And the, the Jews then had to send some of their leaders down to Caesarea to accuse Paul, which they did. Of course, they're going to have to do more than that before it's over. But they, they, did. they had a lawyer named Tertullus who did the speech, accused him of a bunch of things that mostly weren't true. And then Paul responds. And his defense is basically, look, I was only in Jerusalem 12 days. And during those that time, I didn't cause any trouble in the synagogues or in the temple or anywhere else. They can't prove any of this stuff. But, he says in verse 14, I admit to you that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers, believing everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets. And so he, he gets to make a bit of a sermon there. Um, and then um, Felix says, but Felix having a more exact knowledge about the way, put them off. He knew, and I've got a suspicion that he knew because of his wife. We're going to get her in a little bit. Um, so he put off saying, well, when Lysias the commander comes down, I'll decide your case. So he keeps Paul in prison, but he does give him some freedom. His friends can come and take care of him, which is, is better than it could have been. Then in verse 24, he came with his wife Drusilla. Drusilla was a daughter of Herod, the Herod in Acts chapter 12 who did what? Beheaded James. Yeah, Acts chapter 12, he beheaded James. Put Peter in prison wanted to behead him too. Um, that Herod, of course, died back then in Acts chapter 12. But his daughter, who at this point I understand would, would have been about 20 years old, she's married to Felix. Felix is her second husband. Drusilla is Felix's third wife. <laughs> So these three were very modern back then. Um, so he would have known something about the Jews from you know from having a wife who was, um, you know, was Jewish. So Paul, when he spoke to him in verse twenty-five, he spoke about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. What was Felix's reaction? He was right. He's right. Yeah, he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna do do so hot on that judgment to come if. If he was going to get a judge on righteousness and self-control, go away for the present. When I find time, I will summon you. <laughs> well, he actually did summon him quite a few times, but for a different reason. What was he hoping? Yeah, he wanted to get bribed. Um, he was a big jerk. He, I mean, Josephus tells about. I mean, the Jews hated him. He was just really bad. So they and the Jews finally got him. Um, uh, kicked out. He, he got called, summoned back to uh, Rome. and But he left Paul in prison trying to be as nice as he could to the Jews because the Jews were going to Rome to accuse him before Caesar. So the new guy comes in, and I don't know why these guys happen to have names are almost the same, but the new guy is Festus. We've got Felix first, Festus second. And the Jews immediately, he no longer does he hit down, but they're pressure, pressuring him, bring Paul to Jerusalem so we can have a trial. What's their plan? 
Yeah, kill him before he ever gets there. There's not going to be a trial. Of course, he doesn't know that. Um, but no, he, he doesn't go for that. No, you can come down to Caesarea and have the trial. So that's what they do. Um, let me see here. So in, so he's, he, he gives a speech before Festus. And it's a very short speech. Of course, Luke is summarizing, but in verse 8, I have committed no offense against either the law of the Jews or the temple or Caesar. I'm sure he said a little bit more than that, but that's the summary. But Festus says, wishing to do the Jews a favor, you know, are you willing to go to Jerusalem? I don't think he doesn't understand what the danger is. And what does Paul do to avoid that? He appeals to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. He has the right to do that. And so, that's what they're going to have to do. Well, that leaves Festus in a problem and, and he, he discusses the problem with King Agrippa and Bernice. And interesting enough, King Agrippa and Bernice were both children of the same Herod in Acts chapter 12 that Drusilla was a daughter of. Um, they were living like they were married, but they were actually brother and sister. It was a big scandal back then. Um, but of course, they knew something about um, Jewish things because they're they're both Jewish. So uh, Agrippa says, you know, I'd, I'd like to hear this guy. And so the next day they have they have this big uh, gathering where they get all the leading people of the city in here and and invite Paul. So Paul is speaking against. He's speaking to some very high people here: uh, the governor, um, King Agrippa, his wife, and the leading men of the city. And so um, he preaches a sermon to them, and his sermon is somewhat like the one he did on the steps of the temple, where he tells about his past, how he, how, what the terrible things he was doing to um, to the Christians, and then how the Lord appeared to him, and um, then that leads up to when he got arrested in verse 21, and he and he goes on like this, and but then he gets interrupted in verse 24. While Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. This is Gaul just going over Festus' head. didn't mean anything to him. But Paul was aiming it really more at who? King Agrippa, yes. And he says in verse 26, the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence. He says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. I, I don't I don't know exactly how he knew more about King Agrippa, but of course King Agrippa was kind of like celebrities today. A lot of people would know about them. And and apparently he did know that Agrippa did believe the prophets. And then Agrippa makes that very famous response In a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. Which the way the King James translation puts it, you think that what he's saying is, well, You've almost got me there. But it's also possible, and I think rather likely, that what he was saying was more more like, you really think you can convince me to become a Christian in such a short time? Because I don't think he was anywhere near becoming a Christian. <laughs> he would have had to make some major changes of which I don't think he had the slightest intention of making in his life. But Paul answered it 
in a very sober way. I would wish to God that whether in a short or a long time, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And that was the end of the, of the sermon. And Agrippa told Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. Yeah, but he wasn't going to be set free if he hadn't been set free, <laughs> appealed to Caesar. And he, was, he pretty much figured that out at that point. So, chapter 27, he's going to be sent to Rome because that's where Caesar is. And we have, this is Paul's last journey in the book of Acts. Um, they, they take off from Caesarea, uh, go up to Phoenicia, up to Sidon where, he, where the, the centurion is really very nice and lets them get taken care of by the brethren. Then they get a boat going on up this way and, and Luke gives us all the details as they go. It's, it's a strange route. When you look at it, it's a strange route. If you want to get to Rome, you, know, you think, you know, let's just go out there. But the, the wind day after day is coming directly from the west. And he says that they had to sail under the lee of Cyprus. The, the, the island would block the wind and allow them to make more progress. The, the, this map doesn't show it very well, but I think they hugged the coast closer than that. You get in close to the coast and it deflects the wind and they could slowly make progress. And they finally got, I think it was at Myra when they got another boat. Um, yeah, in Myra they found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy. Uh, Egypt and Alexander was a major point in Egypt. Egypt was the breadbasket of Rome. They could not uh, grow enough food up here in Rome to supply their huge population. So there were all the time these big grain ships going from Alexandria to Rome taking food for them. But now look at the map. Here's this ship. It wants to go from Alexandria to Rome. How does it end up in Myra? Right. The wind is coming due west that's the best they can do is just to go you know, right angles of the wind. And they finally end up in Myra hoping they can you know, make a little bit of progress. So the centurion puts Paul and, and everyone else on, on the boat. And they can make a little bit of progress because there's some islands in the way. But when they finally come up to Snidus, now it's open water. And, they're, and they, so again, they, 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 they can't go against the wind, so they come down once they get behind Crete, a little bit of relief, they manage, barely manage to get up here to Fair, this har- harbor called Fair Havens on the southern part of Crete. Paul advised them to do what? Stay, stay put. Yeah, stay put. He um, says it's too late in the season, the winter's coming on, very dangerous to travel. Nobody travels you know, any later than this. Well, they didn't really want to keep on with the journey, but they did want to get a better harbor. Not very far from there is this harbor of Phoenix, which was a good harbor to spend the winter in. And then they got this gentle south wind. Perfect. You know, they can sail right along the coast and, and get to Phoenix. And apparently they were getting pretty close because the boat that they would normally have hanging from you know, tackle, they were actually dragging the boat behind them. Uh, they, they just felt like they had made it. When suddenly what happened? A northeaster called Uraculo comes comes down on them that they can do nothing with this wind. It's, I mean, it would be like in a northeaster off the coast of Maine. Just terrible. And they barely managed to get behind this island called Clauda. And, and they, that gives them enough uh, protection from the wind. They, they're able to haul the boat in and pull it in. They do one other thing because this is very, very dangerous. 
What is the other thing they do? They what? Well, that, that's a little bit later. Right, they, they bind it. They, they take these big ropes and they, they put the ropes all the way around the bottom of the ship and right back up the top, tighten them up with a winch. And that would help hold the boat together because they're in this terrible storm that's, that's just going to liable to um, you know, crack the boat open. You know, if you, especially if you have anything on the, on the mast, any, any canvas at all, the wind hits the mast, the mast turns a little bit and just you know, splits the boat open. So they, they tie it together. This is, you know, they're doing everything they can to try to survive this. And then, and then they throw, throw, as Mary Lee said, they, they throw the cargo over, the tackle over. For days they go, having no idea where they are. They put the sea anchor out to slow them down because they're afraid they're going to end up down here on, on what Luke says is, is the, the um, shallows of Sirtis. Uh, and they finally, after many days, Paul says, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not to set sail from Crete. <laughs> he's not just really saying, you know, I told you so. He's, he's basically saying... Um, I want you to listen to me because I know what I'm talking about. And he says, I want you to keep up your courage because um, the, the Lord told me I'm going to stand before Caesar. I'm not going to die. And God has granted me all of you too because I've asked Him. And then some days after that, it says it was now the 14th night, they, the, the sailors figure out they're getting close to, to land. And they, they take some soundings, the... the, the the water's getting shallower, so they put out some anchors. The sailors tried to do what? Abandon ship. They were going to abandon the ship. Yeah, nice guys. Who who stops the, the plot? Paul. Paul again. Yeah, Paul. Here you have the prisoner who's running the ship. And finally, the next day, they, they see the land. They don't know where they are, but they see it. They chop. They chop the ropes off. Um, they loose the ropes from the steering. Oars. They didn't have rudders back in those days, but they had these two uh, steering oars. And this guy in the middle, he's, he, grab, he can work both of them. But uh, when they're anchored, they would tie them up with ropes so they can't you know, go anywhere. So they, they loose the ropes. They're going to steer it in, you know, put up the sail, aiming for the beach. And they, they didn't make it to the beach. They hit a spot where the, they grounded. And the back of the ship's getting beaten to pieces. So they... Um, they told everyone to, you know, make make your way to shore. And the next morning, they they find out they're on the island of what? Malta. This is called Saint Paul's Bay on Malta. So hey, that must, must be, it could be. It's it certainly is in the right place for for them to have hit this. Um, so. Um, they had some adventures there which I'm going to have to skip over in order to finish this but um, Paul ended up healing a bunch of people and they were so grateful they gave him everything they needed when they, when they left they, they actually caught another Alexandrian ship which had been spending the winter there and so from Malta they went to Syracuse on Sicily then Regium and then finally ended their journey by boat on, at Puteoli from Puteoli, they had to walk. And this would be one of the roads they would walk on. This is the Apian Way. So Paul probably put his feet on some of these very stones that we're looking at there on his way to Rome. 
And they got to Rome. <clears throat> this is a map of ancient Rome, but I have no idea where Paul was. <laughs> this map doesn't do us very much good <clears throat> as far as <clears throat> knowing where Paul stayed while he was there. It was a big city. Very large population for the time. <clears throat> but Paul was only there a few days when he called for who? <clears throat> the Jews. He called for the Jewish leaders. And, and, they, and they arranged a time they, and they came and listened respectfully while he taught them the Gospel. So, Paul is already helping out the church in Rome. Because <clears throat> um, he converted some of the Jews. And not all of them. Of course, some of them were pretty mad. Um, but he finally warned him at the end. He quoted from Isaiah about how you know you're going to have ears to hear, but not hear, and that's what you're doing. And finally, Luke ends the book in this strange way. He stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness, unhindered. You see, the book of of, of Acts is not about Paul. It's not about Peter. It's about the Word of God. And so that's why he ends in this strange way. We, you know, we're, we're, what about Paul? When does he get out and all that? It's about the Word of God. He's preaching the Word of God unhindered. Alright, appreciate everyone's help. We're going to do ten chapters of Romans next week. <laughs> so. So Matthew, do you want the you want the screen? Oh. Okay.